the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Pastor Alan Jackson. I have the privilege of filling in today on Southern California Live. And through the mystery of technology, at least it's a mystery to me, I can do that from a studio in Nashville, Tennessee, and join you on what I hope is your drive towards a fabulous weekend. I hope your weather's as beautiful in Southern California as it is in Nashville today. Uh, It's my privilege to be with you again today, and I hope you've planned a weekend that will bring some refreshment and joy into your life and that you're already on your way. Uh, It's a a special weekend. I think we're remembering, celebrating 9-11, and it's a day in our history that we don't want to walk past. I've got a one-sentence prayer I'm going to repeat for you throughout the show today. Uh, It's a prayer I pray that you'll take with you through the weekend and maybe beyond. It's, It's real simple. God bless America again. You know, I earned a degree in history, and one of the things that's just unmistakable is that God has blessed our nation. And he hasn't just done it once. He has done it over and over and over again. In fact, almost every significant season where there were positive things that have come in our nation, you can find an outpouring of the Spirit of God, a season of renewal or a moving of the Spirit of God or revival. We choose different terms depending on the traditions that we're more comfortable with. But God has blessed our nation, and we're in a season right now where I don't believe there is a way forward that we will be pleased with unless it includes the blessing of God. Our problems aren't going to be solved by politicians or political parties or ideologies or economic changes or reworking the tax laws or even freedom from COVID. Now, all those things would be good, and I hope that God responds to all of them, but it's truly God's blessing that will change our future. You know, tomorrow's September the 11th. I, do you remember where you were on September the 11th in 2001? Do you remember where you were, how you felt when you first heard or saw those images of those planes flying into the World Trade Center in New York City? It was a startling sight. I remember very clearly that day. Uh, I was with uh, the church staff on a retreat at a state park and we stepped out of a meeting room into a public space where there was a television, and we saw the first plane had flown into the tower, that north tower. And it wasn't clear. We, we weren't sure whether it, what had happened, if it was a mistake. And you know, while we were watching, it wasn't very long until that second plane came into view. And then it was very clear, as stunning and as terrifying as it was, that it wasn't an accident at all. And we, we, you know, we bundled up, got all of our gear together, and headed back to the church. We were a couple hours away. And by the time we got back to the offices, our phones were lit up you know, with people. They were coming to the church spontaneously. People just wanted to pray. People sitting in the sanctuaries, people standing around the, the, the front porch of the church. Uh, we all understood we needed God that day. And we've all made that pledge that we're one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. What a refreshing change it would be if we could see ourselves again on this 9-11 be one nation under God, indivisible. There are such powerful forces, it seems, pulling to divide us these days. 
the divide is over our gender, our race, our education, our economics, whether you're vaccinated or you're not vaccinated. Folks, it's from the pit of hell. That kind of division does not make our lives better. We stand together, particularly those of us who are Christ followers. Jesus is the head of the church, and he's not the head of a church that's based on our our gender or our race or our education or our vaccination status. We stand together, and the church has a very important role to play in this season where there's so much division being used to separate us for the agendas of other people, agendas that they hide in the shadows and the darkness, and they just find reasons to make us angry and divide us. I hope you won't fall prey to that. In fact, one of my most powerful memories of that 9-11 event and the days that followed it was, was how we were unified in our nation how we cooperated, how we stood together, how we laid aside partisanship and the things that had divided us. We recognized there was a threat and we needed a way forward and we had to stand together. You know, pastors are notorious for not cooperating. I know we all think we should, but the reality, and I've spent decades in the church, is we're just not really good at it. In fact, church staffs are better at cooperating than senior leaders are typically. But, you know, in that season right after 9-11, even the, the pastors and the churches stood together. We found common ground. We understood that our faith was important in bringing healing to our communities and helping us find a way forward. And I'm grateful today that we don't have an attack from an enemy beyond our shores, but we are under no less of an attack. There are such powerful forces pulling at us, and I believe they're fundamentally spiritual forces makes me honored to have this time with you today because the church is uniquely equipped to talk about how to take a spiritual place in the midst of a spiritual storm. And we talk about 9-11. Uh, it's a, I'm always shocked when I talk to the younger people, the, the, the high school students and the junior high students. If they're that age or younger, 9-11 is not a part of their life experience. It's a fact of history, and it, you know they'll put it right alongside a Civil War battle or a World War II battle or a story about Vietnam. It's just old history to them. And for those of us that have enough gray hair, or at least enough accumulated life wisdom to have lived through that event, it's a far more emotional time than that. So might be something worth reflecting on this weekend, where you were when you first talked about 9-11, and how you stood with the people around you. What was the attitude you had towards your, your neighbors and your friends, and what was your relationship with God in that season, and how does it compare today? This is Pastor Alan Jackson, and I have the privilege today of filling in on Southern California Live. It's my honor to be with you. It seems like an important day. In fact, this is not a normal work day for me. I've made space to, to do this. It felt important enough to me that we stand together. I pulled together a few 9-11 statistics. We, we forget so quickly. You know, our news cycle changes in about 30 minutes. But on 9-11, if you remember those pictures of the firefighters and the police officers running towards the World Trade Center, there were thousands of people trying to get away and streaming in the opposite direction, and those heroes were running in the direction of those of the, the tragedy. 343 firefighters, 60 police officers, and eight paramedics died in the World Trade Center. Since that day, more than 2,500 New York police, firefighters, paramedics, and sanitation workers have developed cancer. And most of those cases have been attributed to the attack on 9-11 and the, their involvement in those months after with the cleanup of the Twin Towers. Since 9-11, more than 2,300 police and law enforcement officers, six, almost 1,650 firefighters, and 108 paramedics have given their lives serving and protecting others. Since 9-11, more than 6,600 military personnel have given their lives. 
There's another 50,000 plus that have been wounded while serving this nation. If you're doing the math, those totals are more than 11,000 individuals who have made the supreme sacrifice and more than 53,000 who have been wounded while serving and protecting our homes and our nation. We can never afford to forget that freedom is not free, that the liberties we have, that the privileges we have, that the opportunities we have, the schools, the health care, the ability to travel, all of those things that we just assume are rights and that everybody in the world enjoys, they don't. We are uniquely blessed. God bless America again. We need your help again. God, we have driven ourselves off the road again. We're angry and divided and frustrated. We're pointing fingers at one another. We're accusing one another. And tragically, we have too many leaders willing to join in that and divide us based upon our responses to COVID or whether we wear masks or we don't wear masks. It's an awkward time. We need God's blessing. We've done 9-11 events through the, since the event. And as I pulled those together, I've learned some lessons that were a surprise to me. They may be common knowledge to you, but they were a surprise to me. It's against regulation, illegal, in just layman's terms, for military personnel while in uniform to offer public prayer using the name of Jesus. That just doesn't seem right on a nation that was founded upon freedom of speech. And those men and women that are willing to offer their lives in defense of us, for them not to have the freedom to pray in uniform in Jesus' name, feels like a betrayal or at least a denial of our heritage. It's against regulations to distribute tickets on a military base for a church event. I know I've tried. And commanding officers that had authority over the bases that were personal friends couldn't violate regulations. I made a trip to, to West Point. I met cadets that were involved in a prayer meeting there. But they had to meet covertly and change their location because it wasn't the 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 leadership at West Point would not approve a regular prayer meeting with cadets. You know, in our local community, I live in a small town in Middle Tennessee, just outside of Nashville. It's illegal for the police chief in his official capacity to extend an invitation to a church event to his officers. We have made we have treated our faith as if it's something toxic. And those of us that fill the pews and stand under the authority of Jesus' name have watched this happen. How did we get here? If we don't defend our rights and utilize them, I assure you they'll be taken away. And I get it, the 11th commandment, thou shalt be kind. But in the name of kindness and tolerance, we have largely been silent while our faith has been systematically marginalized, diminished, and limited. It's enough. Our kindness and tolerance has been received, and it's been repaid with aggression. I don't want you to be angry. I don't want you to be violent. I don't want you to become belligerent. Uh, you know, I, I don't want you to be aggressive towards people that hold a differing worldview than we do. But I want us to recognize that the path we've been walking is not leading us to the outcomes that is best for our children, for ourselves, or for our grandchildren. The United States of America represents the largest bureaucracy in history. Think about that now. The largest collection of managers, the most layers of organization. It's more Byzantine than the Byzantine Empire. Now imagine that largest bureaucracy in history. If it's, if it's separated from a biblical worldview, I assure you it will become increasingly authoritarian. We're watching that happen right before our eyes. If you, if you need evidence... You know, it would have been unthinkable a decade or two ago that our government would spy on its citizens. We accept that now as common practice. 
or that our government would censor our speech and communication. We readily recognize that happens, or set aside laws to consolidate power for themselves and their worldview. This notion of the separation of the church and state, or the separation of the state from the influence of the church, is a very bad idea. Our government needs a moral compass. We understand that fundamentally. Even if you're not a religious person, you could be a secularist. I think we understand that an an enormous bureaucracy needs a guiding moral base. And as a Christian, I obviously, I believe that a Christian worldview is the best way to inform that government. But it is foolish. It's beyond naive to imagine that our government doesn't possess a worldview, that doesn't advocate for an ideology. How is it that those of us in the church, in Christianity, have been so distracted that we have been quiet while they told us to keep the church out of the state? This is Pastor Alan Jackson. I've got the great privilege today of joining you in Southern California for Southern California Live. Life is good in Nashville, and I pray you're looking forward to a great weekend in Southern California. The Declaration of Independence, remember that little document? It was signed July the 4th, 1776 in Philadelphia. That's another coastal city, but it's a little different coast, I think. Jefferson wrote this, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And he goes on to say, And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. It's a powerful document. It changed the course of this nation. It's impacted human history, and it has shaped our lives until today. I wonder what you and I are engaged in today that will affect the lives of generations 100 years from now. I hope you consciously are thinking about your routine. It's not that we're doing big things or great things or signing documents that we think are going to shape nations. But if we will allow the Spirit of God to have a place and a role in our lives, God brings an eternal purpose to the routine of your life, to care in for your children, to go into work, to pay the bills, to see into the mortgage, to be sure your car works so you can do what you need to do this weekend. Our founding fathers understood they were living for something larger than themselves. And it seems to me that the 21st century church in America needs a wake-up call to understand God's called us to something more than just being happy. I'm not opposed to being happy, but happiness makes a lousy God. It's a miserable idol. Once you start to worship happiness, you will incrementally, bit by bit, give away your commitments to holiness and purity and righteousness and godliness. Our founding fathers were willing to take a stand. They were willing to be on the record publicly for what they felt was important. I respect their courage and their willingness to risk everything to gain liberty. They weren't perfect. You don't have to be a deep student of history to know that. And there's an abundance of voices today to point out some of their failures and their flaws. It's been fashionable in historical circles, in academic historic circles, for 20 years or so to search for the flaws of the founders to our nation, to highlight their weaknesses and to suggest that they were men with no faith. They were motivated only by greed. Well, all humans are flawed, you and me included. However, History spoken pretty clearly on the efforts of those who signed our Declaration of Independence. This nation, dedicated to the proposition that all men are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, well, that idea has endured for almost 250 years. 
America is the oldest constitutional republic on earth, and the church has been a part of that journey. We have been a part of that journey each step of the way, constantly reminding those who are leading us that an attitude towards God and faith and his word and the lordship of Jesus is one of the principles that is shaping our present and our future. This weekend, America is going to remember 9-11. Americans will hoist their flags and pause for a moment of silence. Some will say prayers. Hey, folks, I unabashedly love this nation. I have traveled the world, and I can tell you there's not a place even remotely like the United States of America. I get a lump in my throat whenever I have the privilege of joining in singing, America, God shed his grace on thee. I am most appreciative of the men and women who have stepped forward through the decades and have made such tremendous sacrifices so that the liberty and freedoms that you and I know could be extended to the next generation. You know, we live in an odd time. We are told repeatedly from powerful voices with big platforms that our faith is a private matter. It's not uncommon for some person in public life to say, I have a personal faith, but I don't want it to influence my public responsibilities. Or perhaps you'll hear some statement like, well, personally, I'm appalled at that behavior or that activity, but I feel I must be supportive publicly. There are many ways you and I have been coached to separate our beliefs from our behaviors. I don't believe it's a wise pathway. In fact, if I'm honest with you, I think it's cowardice. And it's time for the church to understand you can't have a private faith and a, pub, and a public life that's different and imagine that Jesus is Lord of your life. We're not just Christ followers when we're in church or Christ followers when we're in the privacy of our home. We're Christ followers when we stand in our professional roles and our professional responsibilities when we're engaging with the people in our community. You know, the Bible often refers to our relationship with God in terms of a marriage commitment or a marriage covenant. Well, I'm married. Imagine if I went home and told my wife that privately I was devoted to our marriage and to her completely, without reservation. That whenever we were alone, I would honor every vow I had made. However, publicly, I don't really want to be burdened with the limits of a fanatical commitment to a single person. I need to display a more inclusive worldview. I think I should model more diversity when I'm in public. I'm afraid some persons might be offended by my refusal to value them as highly as I value my wife. Therefore, when I'm in public, every woman will be received with an equal expression of appreciation. (laughs) I don't have the courage to go home and say that, and I hope you don't either. The notion is foolish, but it's no more foolish than when we abandon our faith and our principles because of the fear of a threat when we're in the public arena. We are the standard bearers of this generation. And our choices will determine how much of the future our children and grandchildren will know of freedom and liberty. I believe many of you listening are men and women of character. You have hearts filled with courage, and you're committed to such things as honor and duty and faith in a living God. Personally, I just refuse to willingly slouch towards Gomorrah. We seem a little flustered by the challenge of standing for our faith. One minute. Or choosing to act in a godly fashion. It's not a new challenge. It has to be faced by each generation for themselves. In the next segment, I'm going to tell you about a Captain Tom Ryman. He's a man whose faith not only transformed the trajectory of his life, but his faith changed the destiny of a city and continues to do so today. It's worth thinking about making choices that will allow God to use your life to transform not only your own life experience and change your eternity, 
but to make decisions that will 30. impact the people around you that will be recognized for a long season to come. That's our God. Folks, we've sat in church for too long and sang our hymns or our choruses or went through our worship routine or enjoyed your pastor of preference. Ten. But imagine that our faith was private. God has something good for us today. This is Pastor Alan Jackson. I have the privilege of filling in on Southern California Live. I'll be back with you in just a moment and tell you the story of Captain Tom Ryman. Southern California. This is Pastor Alan Jackson. It's my privilege to be filling in today on Southern California Live. And with the help of some really clever engineers, I'm able to do that from a studio here in Nashville. I've been asking you to say a little prayer with me today, and I I hope you'll take it with you all the way through the weekend. God bless America again. Here's our reality. God has blessed this nation. But he didn't just do it once. He didn't just do it when the pilgrims found their way to our shores, or he just didn't do it when we survived or were victorious in World War I. God has blessed our nation repeatedly, over and over and over again. And it seems to me we're at a place right now where the only pathway forward, we're going to find an outcome that is satisfactory for me, for our families, for the generations who follow us, is if we experience God's blessing again. Now, I don't think that's an accident. I think it'll have a lot to do with the attitudes in your heart and mine. The problem facing America today is not the depravity of the wicked. It's not the evil things that you see through the windows of your church that you imagine are threatening your well-being. The greatest challenge facing our nation today is the indifference of the faithful, the ambivalence in the heart of God's people. We have become too lukewarm. It's a biblical notion. We're not the first generation for whom this has been a problem. But we are a generation for whom it has become a problem. But there's good news in that. That means if we will humble ourselves and repent and seek the Lord, if we'll become sincere and honest about that, God will write a new future for us, and I believe God will bless America again. It's my hope. It's why I'm taking this time with you this afternoon. I want to read a verse of Scripture to you. I'm a pastor. That's the authority over my life. So if you get me, you're going to get some Scripture from time to time. First Timothy chapter 2, the first four verses, Paul's writing to Timothy, a young man that he is mentoring. He said, I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Well, I'm grateful we don't have a king. We may have some leaders with authority over us that act like monarchs, but that we don't have kings. We still elect our leaders. You've got an election coming up next week in California, and I hope you're prepared to participate. Don't just sit in your overstuffed chair and your recliner on your good intentions and your correct thoughts and perfect theology and complain. Participate in the process. It'll make a difference. It's important. It's important that you do more than just pray. You need to participate. Use your voice. Use your influence. Talk to your neighbors. Talk to one another at church. Don't leave this out of your church conversations. Churches don't need to be selecting candidates and campaigning for them, but you need to be having a dialogue with your church friends you can't talk about your politics with the people you worship with, what are you ashamed of? What are you hiding? We better have the courage to talk about what we think is good for our future with the people who we plan to spend eternity. If we can't have that conversation with the people we worship with, who are we going to talk to about it? It's an important time. But Paul told Timothy that, first of all, before we pray for anything else, we have to pray for those in authority over us. And it's a very specific prayer that we can live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. That's the purpose of good government. 
to enable us to have godly lives and holy lives. Any elected leader that doesn't promote godliness and holiness, don't support them. This isn't complicated. It doesn't matter to me what party they come from. I don't care what color their hair is or how long their feet are. If they're not going to promote godliness and holiness, I'm not interested. And you and I have an assignment to pray for them, even the ones you didn't vote for. Even the ones that you think have made bad choices and are making ungodly choices, we still have an assignment to pray for them, that those with authority over us will enable us to lead peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. Wouldn't that be a good thing in America today? God bless America again. This is Pastor Alan Jackson. I have the privilege today of filling in on Southern California Live. It's an honor to spend a little time with you. I hope you're in your car headed someplace for a fabulous weekend. And if you're not, I hope you're planning one. I hope that's what God's got ahead for me. I've got a lot of church in my weekend, but God's going to do some good things in the middle of that as well. I told you I'd tell you about Captain Tom Ryman, a man who had a faith experience that changed his life, changed the city where he lived, and is changing that city until today. He didn't serve in our military. Captain Ryman was a riverboat captain and a saloon owner in Nashville about the turn of the century. Not the 21st century, the 20th century. He was a riverboat captain on the Cumberland River. In fact, he owned a whole fleet of riverboats and had the largest saloon in Nashville. I'll tell you a bit more about that in a moment. But he was not a Christian. In fact, he liked to make fun of the Christians. And it was a popular tradition amongst Christians in that season to attend services that were held by traveling evangelists. This was, the Internet wasn't a big deal in Tennessee in the 1890s. And the traveling evangelists were, and the most popular of those traveling evangelists in this region in that season was a man by the name of Sam Jones, and he was coming to town, and they'd publicized the event and the services he was going to have. And Captain Ryman had been bragging amongst his friends on the riverfront and the riverboats that he was going to visit Sam Jones' revival and disrupt it. Well, he made his boast, and Sam was told about it, so Captain Ryman shows up. You can imagine what happened. He showed up. He didn't disrupt the event. He was so moved by the Spirit of God that he repented and gave his heart to Jesus, chose Jesus as Lord of his life that night in that public service. Now remember, he's a riverboat captain. His conversion was such a sensation in the city that the major newspapers in Nashville carried it on the front page the day after the event. Ryman said that on his fleet of riverboats, it was customary each of the riverboats had a bar on it. They were places for parties and celebrations for a good time. He had a considerable amount of property just along the Nashville waterfront. He made the public boast that he was going out to his fleet of riverboats. He'd go to each bar individually, and he would dump the liquor into the Cumberland River. The press didn't believe him, so they went along for the show. Well, he not only closed the bars on his riverboats, he converted his saloon. It was the largest saloon in Nashville at the time, and there were 170 in the city. He closed his saloon and converted it into a place for evangelical services so the traveling evangelists could hold their services on the riverfront, which had previously been the center for an entirely different kind of an anointing of the Spirit. Well, Ryman began to promote construction of a tabernacle in Nashville. They'd outgrown his bar. The services had gotten too big. God was moving in too remarkable of a way. So he organized the construction of the Union Gospel Tabernacle. He raised the funds. He oversaw its construction. It was a place so evangelistic services could be held in the heart of Nashville, Tennessee. Sam Jones preached there when it opened in 1891. 
Now, here's the rest of the story. At the funeral of Thomas Ryman, Captain Ryman, Sam Jones preached his funeral, the evangelist that led him to the Lord. He suggested that the name of the Union Gospel Tabernacle be named the Ryman Auditorium. Now, if you know country music, you know that the Ryman Auditorium was the home for the Grand Old Opry in Nashville, Tennessee. It's the reason they call it the Mother Church of Country Music. The Ryman still stands in the heart of Nashville, Tennessee, as a testimony to the transformation of Tom Ryman's life and his faith and desire to see the citizens of Nashville and the surrounding region make a decision for Jesus. Don't tell me that one life doesn't make a difference. Your life matters. If we will yield our lives to the Lordship of Jesus and be willing to allow him to bring change to us, it's not the world that needs to change. It's those of us in the church that needs a ch- need a change of heart. God bless America again. We have a rich Christian heritage. We're not asking God to do something new. We're asking him to restore what we have had before and we have given away. Did you know that of the first 108 universities founded in America, 106 were distinctly Christian, including the first university? That's Harvard, in case you didn't know. It was chartered in 1636. In the original Harvard Student Handbook, rule number one was that students seeking entrance must know Latin and Greek so that they could study the scriptures. I quote, let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. John seventeen three quoted in their handbook. And therefore to lay Jesus Christ as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. And seeing the Lord only giveth wisdom, let every one seriously set himself by prayer in secret to seek it of him. Proverbs 2, 3. That is the handbook of Harvard University. Folks, we're not asking God to do something new. We're asking God to bless America again. Are we willing to be men and women, willing to make changes, to let our faith, our faith, be integrated across our lives. We've got to get out of the notion that we're Christians on Sunday or Saturday, wherever we sit in the right place, and the rest of our lives were something else. There's no such thing. If you're a hyphenated Christian, if you put something before your identity in Christ, it's idolatry. I'm not a Southern Christian or a male Christian or a tall Christian or a short Christian or a rich one or a poor one. I'm a person who has yielded my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. God is moving in our nation. He's awakening his church. And in the midst of the stress and the difficulty and COVID and election fatigue, I believe God is moving. It's an honor for me to be with you today. We're watching this struggle play out in so many ways. One of the arenas is the debate between globalism and nationalism. Is it appropriate to say we love our country? Or do we just imagine that God loves every country equally? I'm not confused. I don't think when we get to heaven, they're going to be playing the star-spangled banner in the elevators. When we walk through the pearly gates, you're not going to see a, a large flagpole with the red, white, and blue flapping in the breeze of heaven. I don't believe that at all. I believe God loves people from every nation, language, and tribe. Having said that, this is where God has planted us. That was his choice for most of us, not ours. And we have a responsibility to bear the name of Jesus in this nation, to pray for those in authority over us in this nation, that we might lead lives in all godliness and holiness and righteousness. So I don't believe it's inappropriate. In fact, I think it's necessary for the church to be willing to pray, God bless America again. That doesn't diminish any other nation. I pray that God blesses Afghanistan today. 
they certainly need a moving of the Spirit of God. So it's not that it's a unique blessing we're asking for. Pastor Alan Jackson filling in today on Southern California Live. It's my honor. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in just a moment. And I'm going to take a little trip with you around the world and talk about what God is doing in our nation and the nations of the world. Hello, Southern California. This is Pastor Alan Jackson, and I have the privilege of filling in today on Southern California Live. It's an honor for me to get to spend a little time with you. I hope you're driving home expecting a fabulous weekend. You've got some great plans made to enjoy it with people that you care about and care about you. I've been asking you to say a little prayer with me today, and one I hope you'll take through the weekend. It's one sentence. You can do this. God bless America again. Look, it's founded on the idea that God has blessed this nation. I don't believe we would have the freedoms and liberties that we have enjoyed, that we would have the abundance that has defined our lives in so many ways without God's blessing. He has done it repeatedly through our history, and we're asking him to do it again. We are in a desperate place. Folks, we see our liberties and freedoms slipping through our fingers. We don't know who to trust for information any longer. The most trusted sources that we've looked to for a long time don't feel quite as trustworthy these days. We're battling a lot of challenges, pandemics, COVID-19. You have a recall election next Tuesday in California that I know is occupying a great deal of the the media and the attention in the public space these days. In fact, I want to take some calls in the next hour. I hope you'll take a moment and give us a call. I'd like to, to hear a couple of things. Have you already voted in the special California recall election that's coming up on Tuesday? Or if you maybe a, di- a little different way to look at it, what one issue over these last couple of years has moved you from the sidelines into voting this coming Tuesday? I, I hear a lot of people saying, you know, I just I was tired of participating, but this time it's important. What is it that has caused you decided to decide to get into the game? Saturday is 9-11, and we're remembering 9-11 in 2001. So maybe there's one other question I'll throw into the queue. Hope you'll give me a call. And that's where were you when you heard about 9-11? What was the impact it had on you? Those numbers are 888-52-TALKS or 888-526-2557. Have you voted yet for the recall election? What is it that's motivating you to vote? It's important for God's people to participate in the process. Here's the reality. We can't continue to do what we've been doing and expect a better outcome. We have to change. Now, that's not a popular message. We always want somebody else to change. We think we're doing pretty well. In fact, I think the real truth is probably we wish the politicians would just fix our problems. But the awkward reality is they're not the politicians' problems, they're ours. And we have to be different in order to get to a better place. That's the beauty of a representative form of government. The people that are in all those elected offices are like looking into the mirror of the condition of our heart. Now that's awkward, isn't it? And if you've been angry and frustrated with elected politicians, don't stay filled with hatred and resentment and bitterness. Forgive them. Doesn't mean you agree with every decision, but you got to forgive them. You got to offload that anger and that hostility. If you'll do that and begin to say, God, change my heart, we'll get a different kind of leader. Psalm chapter 2 and verse 1 Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let's break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. That psalm always makes me smile. And all of our power and prestige and all the resources that our elected leaders have and all the ways that they take privileges and hide them from us and then deny them when they leak into the public square. It says that God looks at all that foolishness from heaven and he just laughs. 
He understands that they don't have any power against him. We need to remember who our boss is. We are children of the king. We are servants of the Most High God, the one who spoke our world into existence. The one we serve is Jesus of Nazareth. We've chosen him as Christ, Lord, and King. And in Philippians chapter 2, we're told that he has a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Folks, the church has had low morale and been diminished for too long. We've been a little embarrassed of our faith. People say our ideas are antiquated. We're a little old-fashioned, that our moral perspective hasn't kept up with the 21st century. I hope you haven't believed that lie. If you've stepped outside a biblical perspective on morality, God hasn't changed his mind. He hasn't redefined marriage. He hasn't redefined the practice of human sexuality. God hasn't changed his mind, folks. Our, it's good to know Jesus is Lord. You'll never regret having trusted him and followed him. It's Pastor Alan Jackson. It's my privilege to join you today in Southern California Live I'm asking you to say a little prayer with me today and through this weekend. God bless America again. We're not asking you to do something new, but to restore the blessings that we have experienced time and time again through our history as a people. Hey, think about these words from George Washington. Some of you may remember he was the first president of the United States. His leadership made the difference as the colonies took their stand against a much more powerful Great Britain. He's often referred to as the father of our nation. Well, in his farewell speech on September the 19th, 1796, I quote, It's impossible to govern the world without God and the Bible. Of all the dispositions and habits that lead to political prosperity, our religion and morality are indispensable supporters. Let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Reason and experience both forbid us to expect that our national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. End quote. Did you hear it? George Washington said it's impossible to govern the world without God and the Bible. God bless America again. We need leaders at every na- level of our nation, from the lowest offices in our cities and communities to the highest and most powerful offices in our nation. They will have the courage to say they will lead us from a biblical worldview, honoring God and his word. It's relevant to the history of our nation. You know, at the beginning of our nation, united prayer and fasting was an important part of the journey. We'll talk about fasting in a minute. That's a new idea to you. But our our nation didn't become who we are today without the, the unified prayers of our citizens Again, we've got to stop being angry at politicians and let the church become the church again. How can it be they told us we were non-essential and we went home and said, thank you? We are essential. We are necessary to the well-being of this society. It goes back to our, our beginnings. William Bradford and the Pilgrims, they united in public prayer and fasting. It was a consistent part of their lives before they left Leyden to sail for the States They said being ready to depart, they had a day of solemn humiliation, prayer and fasting. uh, Their pastor took his text from Ezra chapter 8, where the Jewish people preparing to go back to Jerusalem after the exile, they said, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. They made the journey. Now, they didn't all survive that first winter. 
But that practice of setting aside special days of prayer and fasting became an accepted part of life for the Plymouth Colony. November the 15th, 1636, that's before we're formally a nation, a law was passed allowing the governor and his assistants to command solemn days of fasting and also for thanksgiving as the occasion offered. What a notion that God's people would humble ourselves. Fasting is simply skipping a meal, missing food for the purposes of prayer, of seeking God. There's not a single way to fast. You can miss a meal and take the time you would normally spend preparing that meal or enjoying it. Get your Bible out and spend a few minutes praying. Maybe you grab a family member or a co-worker or a neighbor, somebody else. One minute. You know, fasting has been an important part of our history, and it continues to be so until today. You've got an election coming up. I would submit to you it's important enough that you be praying. Not only God bless America again, but that God will cause California to have a fair, open, transparent election that the true will of the people will be expressed at the ballots next week when you have that election. It's important enough. I'd like to take a moment and pray with you right now. If you're driving, don't close your eyes. You can pray with your eyes open. God knows the difference. Heavenly Father, look upon us with mercy and grace. Forgive us of our sins and the hardness of our hearts. You've opened the windows of heaven and showered blessings upon us. In our stubbornness and pride, we've imagined that we made ourselves successful and turned away from you. We've tolerated immorality, greed, and wickedness. We've sought the approval of the ungodly more than we've longed to please you. Ten. Forgive us once again. Look upon us in mercy. God bless our nation again. In Jesus' name, amen. It's Pastor Alan Jackson. It's a privilege to be with you this afternoon, filling in on Southern California Live. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.